Have a seat. Man, won't y'all give a hand to this wonderful worship team we have? Isn't that? Golly. Do you realize how blessed we are in a little church like ours to have such magnificent worship? I mean, most churches our size has the you know, a, a volunteer worship leader that's not very good, but that's the best you got, you know. And uh, one person that plays the piano or the guitar, and that's about it. But we have a wealth of riches. And uh, I'm grateful. Every day, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all of you. Uh, one quick thing. I want to ask if you would just pray about Ask the Lord if he nudges you, then fine. If he doesn't, that's fine too. But we have some families in our church that are really in need. I mean, this the storm wrecked them. And uh, they could use our help. So if the Lord nudges you to give something to help, we'll give all of it to them in the proper way and all of that. But you need to, if you write a check, you need to designate on there, like put in or hurricane if you can spell it and <laughs> or something along those lines so we'll know that that's what that's designated for frankly I kind of don't like Ian at all I have a friend named Ian and I told him I said your name is forever ruined in my mouth <laughs> well I'm excited about this series uh, this was a brainchild of probably Leslie Matt too Love without limit. As I got to thinking about it, I thought, I don't know of anything better to teach than this. I have a couple of quotes. One, one quote's from me. This is my quote here, <laughs> if we have it. <laughs> Help me out, Mary. You don't have it? Well, it was good, all right? <laughs> Essentially, it says this, that I've spent more than 50 years not just studying, but thinking about, contemplating, meditating on the things of God. And I have yet to run across a truth more dynamic, more life-changing than that God loves us. Not a one. I had a quote from Andrew Farley, too, and he, he talks about how if you understand or begin to get a grasp of God's love, it blows your mind. And it does. It always blows mine. Okay, I'm just going to jump in. And uh, the, the first, the title of my, the tagline on my message is conditional or unconditional. Love without limit, conditional or unconditional. Okay, I'll just say right off the bat, God's love is unconditional. Now that in itself, if you will take that truth or reality and let your mind think about it, let your mind go to some logical conclusions about that, you will begin to learn some things and have your present spiritual framework challenged. I promise you it will challenge you. The reason I know it's unconditional is because the word agape, from the Greek agapao, means unconditional. 
It's perfect, unconditional. Perfectly unconditional. Every time you see love attached to God, it's that word agape. All the words for love in 1 Corinthians 13 are agape, as opposed to like phileo or eros or storge, other words for love, different flavors, but not agape. You won't find agape attached to any human being either in there. And here's the reason why I think. I've thought about this so many times in so many ways. I don't think our love is unconditional. We come close to it, I believe. Probably the closest uh, metaphor for God's love would be maybe a love for parent, for child, possibly grandchildren. But it has to be something even that close for it to even come close to this. It's, I don't love everybody. I don't. I don't think I love people that I don't like even. I try, you know, but it's, I, I, generally speaking, I love myself and those that contribute to my welfare. I have, I have compassion for people, the ones that I think deserve it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Even there. It's just at, at our best in the natural. We don't love unconditionally. Again, I think we come close at times. And some of the emotions of love is there, obviously. But God's love is unconditional. It's perfect. And it's unconditional. Now, here's, a, here's another point that Lauren's already preached my message. Uh, you, you know this, don't you? That God is love. We're going to read about that in 1 John 4. God is love. It's not that he loves, but he is love. Whatever love is, God is. That's what he is. He's not just the source of it. He is it. And therefore is the source. He's love. Now, until Jesus, we wouldn't have seen that. People didn't see it until him. Until he revealed that reality about our Father. That he is love. Now I want to read those passages of scripture in 1 John. 1 John 4. This is something I know most of you have already read. But let's think about it again. Look in verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. You, you can't not love if you know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, or revealed in us, shown to us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now I want to skip down to verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Verse 18 says it's not up there, but there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. If you are afraid of God, you're not perfected in love. Are you afraid of him? Most people are. I hope, I hope you all aren't. I hope you've heard enough to make that decision that I'm no longer afraid of God because God's perfect love casts out any sort of fear because that fear comes from an expectation of punishment. And you're not going to be punished, ever. You're going to be loved. So perfect love, again, that's the kind of love that God has. Perfect love casts out fear. God's love is different. It's different. It's on a plane that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's, it's beyond what we in the natural have experienced or could conceive of. It's a higher plane and a higher level of love that until we are there face to face, we're going to have some problems understanding and receiving and contemplating even. When you consider the fact that the, some, the three of the primary characteristics of God, and you all again know this, is that he is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, right? Immutable, unchangeable, so forth. But those three primary characteristics of God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, that means that he can do some things that we can't, right? Everything he does is on a higher level and higher plane that we have comprehension of. So far beyond us in our, in our ways and thinking until it's hard really for us to really wrap our minds around that. But since God is omnipotent and he is love, God can powerfully love you. Right? I don't know what that means nor what it looks like. All I know is he can do it in a way that I can't and you can't. He loves you omnipotently, powerfully. He's also omniscient. He knows everything. Everything there is to know, God knows. There's no knowledge outside of God. He knows it all. The source of it all. Source of all knowledge. He knows everything. Therefore, he is able to love intelligently. Intelligently. He knows how to do it, folks. He knows how to do it. He's also omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. 
David said, where could I go to flee from your presence? I could go down into Sheol, you're there. No matter where I go, you are. And that makes absolute sense. I mean, the whole universe is contained in God. God God's not in the universe. The universe is in him. It's in him. All of it's in him. You're in him. We live and move and have our being in him. Where everything is inside of him. He's big. He's big. So he's everywhere. So love is everywhere. Perfect, unconditional love is everywhere. And I want you to listen to me closely. This is one of the conclusions you'll come to if you meditate on the fact that God's love is unconditional and perfect. Is that he loves everyone. Everyone. You don't. And I don't. But he does. Are you glad about that? I mean, really, are you, are you? Does that make you happy? Does that say, well, that's good. It's good that God loves everybody. Is that good? Yes. It's good, isn't it? Because it includes you in there. Now, God loves everybody but you. That's not good. <laughs> now, there's some people that I would never be able to love. Some in the past, some in the present, probably some in the future. That I just don't think I could unless he did something in me. He loves everyone without any exceptions. I know you're You'll think of some, well, what about so-and-so? Yeah? He loves everyone. So his love is different from ours. It's higher than ours. It's on a plane that it's hard for us to relate to. Now, here's what happens with religion. Here's what happens with mixture in the, in the concept of God. You know what mixture is? Mixture is a mixture of bringing law into grace. And you know, it only takes a little law to totally disrupt and actually pretty much do away with grace. It ruins grace. A little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough, Paul said. So a little law keeping, a little bit of performance, a little bit of thinking in that direction kind of spoils the rest of grace. It does, or it will in time. Here's what mixture does, which is taught by the vast majority of evangelical Christians, at least evangelical churches, and believed. Here's what mixture does. Mixture will say, God loves you. Uh, do you remember this, where this came from? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's the first step in the four spiritual laws, that, you know, the Campus Crusade and others used to use to lead people to Jesus. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I agree with every word of that. But I don't agree with number two and number three and number four. And really, number two, number three, and number four ruins number one. What religion does and what mixture does is starts pumping the, gra the brakes on grace. It'll, in love, pumping the the brakes on love and grace. It'll, it'll say, yes, God loves you, like Lauren said, but 
God loves you if. God loves you when you. God loves you, but if, when. No, no. Don't let that be a part of your thinking ever again. Jettison it from your mind. God loves you. Absolutely, perfectly, immutably, unconditionally. How does that make you feel about God? Really, the thought of that. How does it make you feel about Him? (sighs) You know, one of the... (laughs) The things I've said before, and I didn't realize that I wanted to feel this way in the past, but I always did. It makes me so proud of God. It makes me proud of my Heavenly Father. All of us want to be proud of our dads, I think, and our moms, don't you think? I'm so proud of him. What causes that sense of pride in me? Because he's so dang good. He's so big. He's so wonderful. What really beginning to understand and receive continuously, as Rick has told us over and over, to continuously, and Jeremiah Johnson said this, continuously receive every morning. You need this every day to receive his love, to receive it and think about it, meditate on it. What it'll do is sometimes it'll reduce you to a quivering pile. And then sometimes this awesome wonder begins to, Shoot. Erupt inside of you and you think, golly. It seems too good to be true. Can it be true? It is true. And if your understanding of who God is isn't on a regular basis blowing your mind, you don't see enough. That you you can feel today like you always wanted to feel about God but never knew how. Never knew how. He loves you unconditionally. Perfectly. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. We just read in 1 John 4, made this statement. We love God because what? He first loved us. We didn't love him first. We couldn't. He loved us first. We couldn't couldn't feel like we feel unless he first loved us. That's the way it goes. That's the way it is. Uh, Jesus is a good illustration of that. He said, for example, in John 15, 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I believe Jesus loved the Father and still loves his Father. But that's not what he said. The emphasis is on he loves me, not me loving him. 
That's what Jesus said. As the Father has loved me, I love you. It's not as the Father has loved me, I love the Father, even though he does. The emphasis on understanding that God loves you first. You, you have to get this, folks, that the emphasis is on receiving his love, not loving. It's receiving his love. Then that happens. But you can't do that until you receive this. I've said this before. You can't give away what you don't have any more than you can come back from where you hadn't been. <laughs> you ever seen anybody that just got back from where they hadn't been? <laughs> they don't look good when they get back from where they hadn't been. So the emphasis is on receiving his love. Jesus loved his father, but he emphasized to the disciples that his father loved him. John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment. You remember this? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. As I've loved you. As you've experienced my love, you can love one another. At the Last Supper, if you remember, the last thing Jesus said to them after that was over with, he said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You love one another. So, it's always, it's like a, shoot, I'm forgetting their names. Uh, Allison and Brett were teaching in the class a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago. And uh, they did a magnificent job and brought this, this what I'm going to tell you, up. The disciples came to Jesus, for example, and they said, what is the greatest of the commandments? And you remember what he said to them? Love God with all your heart, your mind, your love, your, all your heart, your mind, your strength. And love your neighbors yourself. And in this, there's a summation of the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets are summed up in these two commandments. That's what Jesus said. So what he's summing up is the law and the prophets. That's what the law does. The law says, you love God. You love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And then you go and you love your neighbors yourself. What's left out of that equation? God loving me. Christ loving me. He was quoting, sum, summarizing the law and the prophets, not summarizing the gospel at all. I can't love God with all my mind, my soul, my strength. I can't do that at all unless I fully get and fully understand that he loves me perfectly and unconditionally first. Then I've got resources. I can't love my neighbor. Not to the extent that he's saying to, unless I first understand that God loves me. Right? Does that make sense to you? So all this is saying to you is, will you please forever, for the rest of your life, spend the majority of your whole time in meditation or prayer with God, receiving his great love and acknowledging it and repeating it over and over. You love us with an everlasting love that never changes and never will. That's your assignment.
receive his love. We love him because he first loved us. Now let me read you a passage of scripture in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. And this will, again, further what I just said. Verse 15. From whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you... Being rooted and grounded in love, agape. Rooted and grounded in love may be, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What's the key in this? You being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of God's love in you, love to you expressed in Christ? Everything you see, every doctrine you believe, every teaching you hear, you must evaluate it based upon the fact, is it or is it not rooted and grounded in the perfect, un- Deserved, really, love of God. I don't care what doctrine it is. I don't care what subject it is. The subject of wrath, the subject of justice, the, su- just, the subject of God's anger, the subject of God's judgment, the, as many of you have heard all your lives. The, no matter what it is, whether it's the atonement, whether it's holiness, regardless of what it is, it has to be evaluated based upon, is it? Rooted is that teaching, that under, my understanding of that, rooted and grounded and issued forth from the perfect, unconditional love of God. This comes first, not that. It'll change the way you look at wrath. It'll change the way you look at judgment. It'll change the way you look at justice. It'll change the way you look at uh, holiness. It'll change the way you look at everything if it's rooted and grounded in love first. You know, a moment ago we, we read in 1 John 4 that uh, Jesus was the propitiation of our sins. That's not a good translation of that Greek word, propitiation. And yet, in most translations, it's there. Some, it's expiation. Expiation is a better word. Now, if you're understanding, propitiation means that God punished Jesus instead of us for our sin. He killed him. God, God essentially killed him. Can I tell you something? That's not justice. That's not justice that a man totally innocent was killed for me. It's not justice. And by the way, God didn't kill Jesus. God didn't punish Jesus. Sin punished Jesus. We punished Jesus. Sin did. God didn't. God was there. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was with him and in him. God was a part of that. Your father was a part of that cross experience. Don't you understand that? God didn't punish Jesus and he didn't abandon him. He was with him. Jesus thought he did because sin was upon him. He saw things like we see things. And if I was on that cross, I would think God has abandoned me. But he hadn't. 
He was there. He suffered. God didn't punish Jesus. Now, expiate means, expiation means not punishment. It means it's restorative, not punishing. Expiate means restorative. In other words, God has the power in his love, which is higher than our ways, obviously, much higher than our ways. God has the power, and he executed it. He not only made it right for the offended or the victim, he made it right for the offender or the victimizer. He took sin upon himself out of both of them, out of them, and made them right. That's God's justice. God's justice is to make everything right. Everything right. That's his justice. And if you see it through the eyes of love, you understand that God wants to, and because he wanted to, he did make things right. We don't see it all yet, but we will. I don't know how he does all that, but he does. In time, I will say more, but not today, okay? Anyway, any teaching or doctrine not rooted in the unconditional love of God is a false gospel. It's a false gospel. No matter, no matter what the concept is. And if it's not, you're never really going to come to understand the truth of that doctrine or that concept. Rooted and grounded in his love. Now, I want to just quickly look at 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. You all know that, right? Okay. Uh, here, here's, it's really verses 4 through 8. Um, Verses 4 through 8, first of all, it says what God's, it shows what God's love is. It says what God's love is, and it says what God's love's not, and it says what God's love does. Those three things. Let's look at this real quickly. Verse 4. It says there's one body and one spirit. Oh, I'm still reading Ephesians. It's 1 Corinthians. Same verse, though. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's what love is. That's, that's what it says love is. Love is patient, love is kind. Seems like it ought to be more than that, but and it is, but do you think of God as being patient? Really? Is he patient with you? Mm-hmm. Is he kind? Yes. Those are two things, fruits of the Spirit also. Those are two things probably that I've prayed more about for myself than any other two things. I want to be patient and I want to be kind. I'm not very patient and there's times I'm not kind, but I want to be. I know God's like that. I want to be like Him. He's patient with you. But you have to understand, he's patient with everyone. With everyone. And he's kind to everyone.
We don't always think people deserve that, but he does. That's who he is, okay? He's patient and kind. Let's look at the things that, he's not, that love is not. Love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous, does not brag, is not boastful, does, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does, does not seek its own. It's not provoked, easily provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Doesn't even take it into account. God doesn't take into account any wrong suffered. told you, God's love is higher than ours, seems like. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what it does. Love never fails. Now faith, last verse, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, means they remain. That's Everything is summed up, kind of. That's the three things, the three mountaintops, the three primary things. Faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Here's what I see in that. Being rooted and grounded in the love of God, the unconditional, perfect love of God, brings me hope. I don't have to work up hope. And it's important that I hope. I have a great hope. And that's where faith comes. Faith in a loving Heavenly Father. In a Heavenly Father that's patient and kind. A heavenly Father that's powerful and omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. A Father that who is love. Faith springs forth. Faith comes naturally. Faith comes easily. It's easy for me to believe in Him and believe Him because He loves me and I'm growing to love Him in return. Faith is not hard. Faith Faith is believing he wants the best for me and has the best for me. Faith is easy when it's rooted and grounded in love. It's not hard. It's his faith anyway. It's easy to believe in and believe on someone who absolutely, unconditionally, perfectly loves me. It's easy. Faith, hope, love abide, these three. The greatest of these is love. Faith and hope follow love. I'm going to end with this. Oh, Paul. I love Paul. Paul, when he wrote... One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. He starts off that chapter with, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He really didn't say it that way. It's an exclamation. He said, no condemnation. He shouted it when it burst into his heart. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus.
For the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin. He didn't condemn you, he condemned sin. He didn't condemn me, he condemned sin. He didn't condemn anybody, he condemned sin. So he begins this chapter with no condemnation and he ends it with no separation. And listen to these glorious verses at the end of that chapter, verse 38 and 39. 37, 38, or 38, 39. For I'm convinced, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was convinced I'm now convinced. Are you convinced? Yes. Are you convinced? Yes. yes, I'm convinced. For I have come to know and have believed the love the Father has for me. That's what John said. We have come to know and we have believed the love which God has for us in Christ Jesus. Spend the rest of your life You'll never go wrong. Spend the rest of your life living your life receiving his unconditional and perfect love and seeing everything and everyone through the lens of that reality and truth. Okay? Be convinced. Don't back up on it one inch. No matter what anybody says. When people call me a heretic, that I'm leading people to hell because I don't preach on judgment and hell and sin and all of that stuff. Criticism, deep criticism. I just smile and say, God loves you. I don't much, but he does. <laughs> and I'm really glad he does. I'm glad he does, dude, because you'd have no hope without that. Mean as you are. Mm. It's not in my hands, it's in his. And I've told you this before, I feel like the Apostle John. John was the one that said, when he saw Peter, James and Peter, and the disciple whom Jesus loved, talking about himself. He loves me more than all you put together. And he loves you the same. No. Makes me feel special. Not only feel special, it makes me special to him. This will change your life, folks. I've never been the same since, and I never will be. The way I feel, I always wanted to feel. Without effort. It's just the way things are. It's the way He is. Stand up, let me pray for you.
Father, I just pray for convincing that we all live the rest of our lives convinced. For I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Pray, Lord, for the, the breakthrough in our hearts that we need in order to receive the reality of a love that's almost beyond our comprehension. Thank you for the little glimpses we get of it, Lord, and the way it makes us feel when we do. Thank you for the sense of value that it gives each of us. The sense of specialness. The sense of uniqueness. That you love us each individually and uniquely. Thank you for the way it makes us feel about you, Father. We're so proud of you. Proud to know you. Proud to be in union with you. Proud to hang out with you. Just makes us want to brag on you all the time. You are such a good, good father. We love you. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.